Hi there, everybody. Welcome to the Dungeon Dive Bar Happy Hour. Yeah. I am your host and GM, Sam, and the proprietor of the bar. And joining me, we have Alex. Hi, everyone. I'm Alex. I uh, am playing Pelta on the podcast. Tell us a little bit about Pelta. So Pelta is a scald. I thought a scald would work really well with the uh, party as we were shaping up. So then I had to look where a scald would be from in Galarian. And the Kellid tribes live in Numeria, which is really close. And I, they have a uh, sort of barbaric culture, but a lot of stories. Tiger lords, I believe. Uh, she's from the ghost wolf tribe, but tiger wolves would be the closest. Yeah. She had to travel a good ways. Yeah, the Kellid tribes have a rich oral history and we definitely have skulls among them so i thought that would be a cool way to tie her into the world is pelta archetype no pelta's a pure skull that makes sense because personally i don't think a lot of the skull archetypes are that good except for like really niche parties. yeah well skull already needs a niche or large party and we have a we have a rather large party so it's fun Yes, we are a six-person party with two full marshals, so... Yeah, lots of people benefit from the uh, Raging Song, which is the Scald's main core feature. She can get everyone uh, rage powers, just like a Barbarian. We talked about her as a Scald. Uh, why don't we talk about what the Scald as a class is? Because that's not your standard fantasy archetype, fantasy character. No. You know, like bard, wizard, all that stuff. So the Scald is a... Well, a lot of people enjoy it as a cheese multi-class to create a bard barian. And that's actually what the Scald is as a class in a way that makes sense. And so Scalds are poets or oral storytellers, singers. They could play an instrument still just like a bard. Instead of inspiring competence and courage in their allies, inspire rage. And you make people angry and powerful from it. And what I like it over a barbarian's rage is your allies or those who use it don't get exhausted afterwards. Yes, that is very nice. So you can pop in and out, start your song as you need in a combat. Don't have to worry about fatigue afterwards. Not to mention making everybody angry is very effective in combat. So we kind of talked about what Pelta's class is. What is Pelta's purpose here at Ford Inevitable and the Emerald Spire proper? So Pelta loves her tribe dearly, but the tribe didn't reciprocate in the right way and ejected her after some issues with the uh, leadership. So she's a bit of a wanderer right now, but has found a home in the area around the Emerald Spire at Fort Inevitable. One of the signifiers, a Hell Knight, has taken her in. She uh, is sort of a roommate, staying in his barn or something, I think. To like a page. Yeah. You stay yep. there, he feeds you, you do yeah, Exactly. She hates it. She learned how to write as part of her Scald training, but hates doing it and would much rather be fighting. So she is ready for an adventure as soon as anybody comes uh, bearing it. What do you have planned for Pelta's future? Like, story beats? Well, you don't really have to share the story beats, because those could be fun surprises. I know some of them that are kind of come up later. Right. But, like, as far as class and character development, like, you just scald. As a scald, what I'm looking forward to are the rage powers, especially. So, as she progresses, her uh, raging song will give her and her allies extra powers. One of the most fun as a sort of build note is going to be um, the Greater Beast Totem to give her and all of her allies pounce, which allows you to make a full attack on a charge and is very exciting. I forgot it gives you full attack on a charge. Yeah. I might have to rebuild my Scald now because I went with the Spirit Totem line. Spirit Totem is fun too with the healing. The healing and the fact that it gives a free slam attack. It was, it was a tough choice between those sorts of builds, but I, I like the uh, charge and pounce. Will be fun. Yeah, especially with having uh, Cavalier and stuff in the party. Yeah. Who is played by uh, your wife. Yes, Retha is played by my wife, Megan. As far as story beats, uh, should I share her race? I don't think I've mentioned it anywhere. She's human. Yeah, there are hints in the podcast early, and uh, we'll let people sort of figure it out. But most of her sort of story beats are around her parentage and the issues that that can cause. So I think that's about it for story beats. We will absolutely dive into that when we get to those points. We talked a little bit about Pelt. Let's talk about you. The Emerald Spire Super Dungeon is probably one of Paizo's most well-known modules. 
being the longest and actually about the length of five books worth of yeah. APs. Uh, the module itself is 160 pages and the average AP is about 60, but it levels you up from one to 13, which is usually where actually I guess, yeah, about where book four usually ends in a module or an AP. So what do you personally know about the Emerald Spire Super Dungeon? I know it's location in Galarian in the River Kingdoms. About the module itself, I know that it was written by some of the uh, premier authors that Paizo works with, including the illustrious Eric Mona, Paizo's chief publisher. Uh, there's actually a chapter written by Jason Bowman, too. Oh, Bowman. All right. Um, I know very little about the module in general, though. Just that it's each uh, floor is distinct from the last and if you think it's your standard dungeon crawl, you are most definitely wrong. And I personally have gone through and upgraded and increased the difficulty of this module because I found it lacking, especially for a six-person party. We are a bit of power gamers, too. Yeah, everyone who is on this podcast, as far as I'm aware, has great system mastery. And as a result, I had to up the ante and match. For instance, on some floors, I may have increased the quantity or the quality of a monster. Or if there's characters with caster levels, I would also upgrade them. Now, what those characters are, I will not share because I'm coming to surprise. <laughs> so many spoilers. So many spoilers. But one of the big things I want to prevent, and we've all talked about this as a group, is we want to avoid the GM PC arms race. Yeah, there's some silly things you can do with Skulls that I'm... Um not looking into because then i would just do them yeah i i know for a fact that there's going to be some crazy stuff because another member of the podcast is doing a summon build and summons combined with scalds is a bad time for me <laughs> a lot of moving pieces a lot of moving pieces a lot of things getting buffed even before the fact that you know augment summoning and stuff comes into effect right and, uh, it's gonna be a fun time I think it's going to be a fun time. Yeah, I, I'm looking forward to it. And uh, the parts we've played together have been a great time as well. Yeah, I've been having a good time too. And I think everyone's been having a good time. I think as of where we are right now, which I'm not going to say so people don't know when we're actually recording this, we've gotten a really good sweet spot between lethality and excitement. Certainly have. Resources are spent. Hit points are low. Everything's good. Or not. And there's still half the floor. <laughs> <laughs> so, I don't know if you know this, Scald is actually one of my favorite classes. You were mentioning this as I was trying to decide. I mentioned Scald, and like, you have to play Scald. Yeah, I was like, you have to do this. This is one of those classes that I never see used, because it just, like, is so very rarely useful in a party. You almost always want to bard over it, just because the uh, Raging Song can mess with a lot of builds. Yeah, it ruins a lot of casters' times because they can't cast while they're under the rage. Right. So, like, all those really cool melee me casters like War Priests and Magus and stuff, or a Battle Oracle or something, just lose a lot of their versatility or primary function. So when you actually approached me about this concept to me, I was like, you have to do it. This is, like, the one chance you get to be a Scald. And I personally love Pelta just from what I've seen her do and what you've told me she can do. I enjoy Scalds quite a bit. At my bachelor party, we made a party that would was built to benefit from a Scald. That just everybody had full melee sort of progression that if they couldn't cast spells, that was no problem. They wanted this rage. Nice. That was a fun game. When we get that charge off uh, with Pounce and Cavalier's charge, things are going to go wild. I have actually taken a lot of that. I didn't know about that. I actually need to take that into account for the future levels now. Difficult terrain will shut that down pretty well, so. A little bit of behind the scenes. Every single floor of the Spire has a different condition. Uh, um... Some of them are difficult terrain. Some of them are weird lighting. Some of them have other rules. And I look forward to seeing how everyone's characters really interact with these. That'll be a... Uh... A fun challenge uh, to look forward to. Uh, I look forward to everyone getting through this dungeon. I look forward to the characters that you guys play if you die. 
I, as I know a couple of you guys have some really cool backup ideas. You've shown me several. I think I have eight currently that are in various states of workshopping. You you sent me seven or eight of them by now. I like making characters. It's a it's a good time. I feel you on that. That was honestly one of the, my favorite parts. It's like, all right, time to reap it. Oh, I get to do this. I'm excited for it. And uh, I'm excited to see more of Pelta on the podcast proper in the Dungeon Dive Bar, the Emerald Spire Exploration. Cheers, buddy. Cheers. Hi everyone, welcome to Dungeon Dive Bar's Happy Hour. This is where I, the GM Sam, am gonna just sort of talk with the players one-on-one and kind of learn a little bit more about their characters and what they expect out of the show and the Emerald Spire Super Dungeon. Joining me this time is Megan. Hi, Megan. Hello. So you're playing Retha Valduk, a cavalier, right? Uh, Valduk, but yes. Valduk. In Order of the Pike Cavalier, right? Yes, Disciple of the Pike is, it's an archetype that allows me to not have a mount. <laughs> Which would be very bad in a dungeon. Yep, be a little bit inconvenient, especially with all the difficult terrain there is. Yeah. So talk a little bit about Retha. What race is she? We didn't really touch that in the show yet. She is a tiefling. To be specific, she is a devil spawn tiefling. It's a variant of the tiefling race that replaces stat bonuses and the spell-like ability I get. Normally it's darkness, right? Normally it's darkness, yes. Devil spawn get pyrotechnics instead. And she kind of more from like a flavor standpoint, there's not really much mechanical about this. She is descended from a contract devil. So she's very legalistic, will find loopholes. And one of her little ticks is that she keeps a logbook meticulously. And she actually writes with her prehensile tail. That's a fun little quirk. It's just those little details I think really bring characters to life in Pathfinder. Yeah, like, I don't know when that's ever going to come up, but... You never know. Why is Retha at Fort Inevitable in the first place? You mentioned she's a disciple of the Pike, which shares name with a Hell Knight Order. Her family actually lives nearby. She's got... Two brothers that are also members of our party, Maldrick and Gareth. They're kind of at odds with each other. Well, Maldrick's chill, but uh, she's got a little bit of a rivalry going with Gareth. And with her infernal ancestry, prefers spending her time at Fort Inevitable to spending time at home. Just because it's kind of somewhere she can get away from her decidedly chaotic family. And uh, I guess associate with more like-minded individuals. She's kind of been aspiring to become a Hell Knight for a pretty long while now, and finally has begun her armager training. That's right, you are an armager Hell Knight as well. Yep. And mechanically, that won't come into effect until Retha hits level 6, right? Because you have to be 5 yeah. levels. BAB 5 and a certain number of ranks in knowledge. Religion and planes, I think? Maybe one or the other. 5 of Intimidate, 2 in planes, and must be able to wear heavy armor. Yep. Which shouldn't be a problem for me. <laughs> what do you, Megan, expect to get out of the Emerald Spire? Because you've heard a lot about this. This is one of the most well-known modules in Pathfinder, I would say. Well, as well-known as it is, I actually know relatively little about it. I do know that it's a dungeon crawl. And one of the, I guess, risks or caveats of dungeon crawling is that there's not a lot of opportunity for roleplay. So I want to turn that on its head a little. I want to have fun, descriptive roleplay moments in amongst the dungeon. I don't know how soon this is intended to come up, but Maldrick has plans to turn the whole place into a bar once we clear it of its monsters and such. Which in some of our content we've already recorded as of right now, we've started referencing and moving towards. Yep. And I guess just like, it'll be interesting to see how Rethup kind of plays into that. Because like, she's not really like, you know, the dive bar type. She's the very everything must be orderly type person. Glass of Cabernet kind of gal. Yeah. Basically. Yeah, so her motivations are pretty straightforward. Yeah. Her motivations are she wants to become a Hell Knight. And she's basically just tolerating Maldrak and Gareth because they're her brothers and the others because they, you know, willing to delve into the spire with her. And that's kind of what her superiors, what the full Hell Knights have asked of her, basically. What do you personally think is the spire's deal? You said you have no real idea what it is. 
But you must have some guests being well-informed on both Pathfinder and Starfinder lore. I know it has something to do with the Islanti. That's about it. <laughs> um, it's a pretty standard guess with ancient green magic. Yeah. Well, and I've been keeping up with, you know, another podcast that's running through it. And they had encountered some Islanti writing somewhere inside. Big spoiler. So that kind of cements that theory a little, I guess. Yeah. But of course, I don't know that in character. So I... that's why I'm asking you, Megan, not of Retha. Yep. Retha has no clue. She's like, hmm. Well, it's it's green. It's full of monsters. It's full of monsters. So uh, that's kind of her interest in it. Because uh, I guess the Order of the Pikes thing is just like taking down large monsters, whether they're like game animals or whether they're like nuisances to the nearby area or whether it's just for the glory. They're constantly playing Monster Hunter. I look forward to seeing Retha progress and survive and be finally achieve her goal well don't uh, jinx as... it <laughs> <laughs> well i mean i'm the one who controls that fate yeah really i'm not what it comes down to is a roll of the die roll the die and uh good strategy on my part well with your teammates definitely between the damage you guys could put out and having an actual cleric who's dedicated to support which you know yeah a lot of people don't play in pathfinder for some reason Megan, I'd like to thank you for joining me at uh, Happy Hour today. Yeah, thank you for having me. I look forward to seeing you and Retha on more of the Dungeon Dive Bar. You have a great night now, and uh, we'll see all of you guys at the bar. Dungeon Dive Bar Happy Hour. Joining me this week is David. Hi, I'm David, also known as the Truth Whale. And you are Levin's player, yes? Yes, I play Levin. So, talk to me about Levin. He is a ranger, right? Correct. He is a ranger with two or three archetypes. I can't exactly remember at the moment, but many archetypes. I believe you have said enough archetypes that he no longer resembles his base class. That is true. I am essentially a slayer if the slayer was better at dungeon diving so a full martial rogue kinda yeah that's what the intent was when i built him was to be a full martial rogue that was one of levin's original design choices right you were originally thinking of going rogue with him yep i was originally gonna go on chained rogue because if you play chained rogue you're a masochist but i decided against unchained rogue because i found a combination of ranger archetypes that did exactly what i wanted but better so he is a ranger what is his role and dynamic in the party? He is the preliminary scout. He can handle single encounters. He's not quite an assassin, but he's good at fighting. His primary goal is trap finding, trap spotting. He excels in dungeons, which this entire AP takes place in a dungeon, so feels good. As he gets higher in level, he'll get more and more dungeon-related things, like at 7th level... When I'm in a dungeon, I'm immune to all forms of difficult terrain. And I get better dark vision in dungeons to a point where lighting no longer matters for me. That kind of stuff. And Levin is a human, correct? He is a human. He is of Taldane descent. He's not from Taldor. He's from Brevoy. But his family are minor nobles in Brevoy that have heritage from Taldor. He is not associated with his family anymore. From a very young age... He was sold into a slavery to help pay off some of the debt his family had gotten into from an investment that went really, really poorly. Quite a dark character you've got there, huh? Yes. That's why I've petitioned for this segment to be renamed Unhappy Hour. You did, and I ignored that petition. Yes. So why is Levin at the Emerald Spire and Ford Inevitable as a whole? Well, he's not here willingly. He is essentially considered a bad luck charm. He's considered a bad luck charm because the only time he's ever been hired, he's either been the sole survivor or the party has disbanded, which is kind of a big deal. If you're an adventuring slave and you're considered a bad luck charm, no one's going to rent you out, which means you're just hemorrhaging money. So they were like, you know what? Screw it. We're going to send Levin back into Avistan and we're going to recoup what losses we can by supplying in the contract that we get. 
money if Levin dies, which they're betting on him dying. Yeesh. So we talked about Levin. Let's talk about David. What do you expect out of this super dungeon? You've revealed to me privately that you never thought you'd actually play this, so you read about it? Yes, I don't remember most of it. I know a lot of the, like, side stuff. I don't know the dungeon itself. Well, that's somewhat useful to know, that you don't know 100% of it. I don't know most of the actual dungeon layout. I just know the backstory. Okay. I, I, can, I can accept that. So, back to the original question. What do you really expect out of it? Are you looking forward to playing it, the, seeing the, the details that you didn't get before, or just simply playing with friends? Well, for me, spoilers are a non-issue. I'm very much the kind of guy that if you tell me what's going to happen, it's not going to reduce my enjoyment of it by any degree. Honestly, most of the time I'd rather no spoilers, so I know if it's worth investing my time into. For real, it's just spoilers don't bug me. They never have. So playing it is going to be just as fun as if I knew absolutely nothing. There's an argument to be made that I get more of an enjoyment out of something if I know what's coming up, but that's neither here nor there. I'm just excited to play through it. Levin's story is completely parallel to the dungeon. Like, it'll proceed as the dungeon does, but it's very much unrelated <laughs> outside of a couple key points. Yes, some key points that I have worked into the dungeon because as I have... And as I have mentioned on previous episodes, and I mentioned on future episodes, I have updated this dungeon to match the fact that we have a six-person, very competent party, both in-game and out-of-game, as the people I am playing with, a majority of them at least, are very high-level system mastery players. If you listen to episode one and two, you'll know that competency is not necessarily being guaranteed. This podcast reserves no right to any sort of punishment for its players outside of the GM's prerogative. Yeah, I'm going to do terrible things to all of you. So, David, I know you pretty well, I'd say. And the people listening might not. But if there's one thing I know about you, it's that you hate homebrew. That's not true. I hate house rules. There's a lot of cool stuff you can do with homebrew. In fact, Levin's weapon is a homebrew weapon. I did an entire compendium of, like, here are rules for trick weapons in Pathfinder, and that's what he's using with Sam's approval, and that'll be linked down below with the actual, like, house rule compendium. Homebrew is cool. You can do a lot of good stuff with homebrew. House rules I have a problem with, because a lot of people, not necessarily yours, which is why I agreed to yours for the most part, but my problem with house rules is house rules tend to not give a shit about how the game is actually balanced. Every house rule that I've encountered, and I've encountered a lot of them, and they've all been terrible, they've always been like, hey, nat ones can auto-fail skill checks, or the GM gets to decide what good means on a nat 20. Like, it's just, it's house rules that break the flow of the game. I'm going to give an example, and the person who's listening to this is a friend of mine, because I'm going to force him to listen to this podcast. He knows this story because it's his story. He was with a GM that is a fantastic storyteller GM, and a very very bad house rule gm and he was in a tundra setting and he was scrounging for food he was looking for either something to hunt or some forage materials in a tundra a couple uh frost berries whatever the case may be he rolls a natural 20 on his survival check with this gm has the house rule natural 20 is the best possible outcome natural one is the worst possible outcome in all possible ways which is bad in and of itself his reward for rolling a natural 20 as a solo level five drow cleric was a winter wolf who killed him in two rounds. That's bad. That is one of the many examples I have of house rules that I've either personally encountered or encountered adjacently that have tainted them for me forever. And I wasn't even in that game. Yikes. There's a reason I comb through every single homebrew document I'm ever given and be like, where are the house rules in this and what do they do? Well, David, I just got one question left. All right, shoot. You excited to dive in? Sure. I'm interested to see how long Levin lasts and how long the rest of the party lasts. Uh, there's a lot of cool story stuff I want to do with Levin, and unlike a lot of the others, I don't have a backup character written up, so I should probably do that at some point. 
I look forward to seeing Levin and the rest of the party in the Emerald Spire Super Dungeon. And you can listen to us more at the Dungeon Dive Bar. Cheers, David. Cheers. Have a good one. everyone welcome to the dungeon dive bar happy hour joining me for this round of drinks is garrett the player of maldrick yo yo what's up garrett not much man just having a saturday it is indeed a saturday we're uh, having a good time having some good drinks hanging out with some good buddies exactly so let's break down maldrick who is maldrick uh, Maldrick is one of three siblings, uh, all of which are outsiders. He is the siblings of Varetha and Gareth. Correct. Unless you know something I don't. I'll never tell. No, no, they're siblings. And his class, it is a very cool class and archetype, is it not? It is, yeah. It's, he's, he's a Magus, which is from Ultimate, the Ultimate Magic book. It's a like, mix between a martial character and like, a caster. Most importantly, he is the Jiskan Artificer archetype for the, the Magus class. And what does that do for him? For one, it means he's missing an arm and has one of his arms replaced with like a golem arm. On top of that, it basically makes it so that he can use only a bunch of his uh, class features with only that golem arm. That hasn't come into place yet because he does he hasn't hit level two, which is when Magus really kicks in. But on top of that, as a replacement, his golem arm is going to like automatically scale through part of the game, and because of that, for example, it starts off already being considered masterwork, which gives him an additional plus one to attack with it. On top of like that, he can rebuild it out of special materials. It auto scales, as I mentioned. It'll like become magic automatically as you go on, and he'll have. Some special abilities he's able to use with it similar to how the magus the standard magus can channel magical energies through their weapon of choice sort of like that except he can do that plus he has the auto scaling that's very cool mm -hmm. i mentioned in the interview with alex that scald is one of my favorite classes a magus and war priest are the other two that make up my top three top four wizards number one I'm a sucker for wizards. Who isn't, right? Yeah, I mean, they're so cool. <laughs> but we're not here to talk about our mutual love of wizards and Pathfinder. We're here to talk about Maldrick. So why is Maldrick here at Fort Inevitable? We've discussed why his sister is here on a previous episode, but why is he here? Fame and fortune. Classic adventure goals. Plus his siblings are here, so that helps. That does help. But... Maldrick has a secondary goal, doesn't he? Does he now? I believe you mentioned that he has a specific desire to do something with the spire. Yes, he 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 has an idea of turning the spire into a sort of destination uh, to make him even more fortune. <laughs> That's fair. It is part of fame and fortune, but in a very roundabout way. Exactly. He wants to turn our dungeon into a dive bar. Exactly, yeah. That's that's his grand goal. So, we talked about his class, we talked about his goals and stuff. Let's move to Garrett. What do you want out of the Emerald Spire Super Dungeon? You actually have the distinction of having played through the first floor already in a different group. I have, yeah. I've actually played the first floor probably five times. I've run it a couple times for different groups, and I've played it a couple times for Pathfinder Society. Yeah, so, you, that's the only thing you really know about in-depth about the emerald spire right i've played the second floor once as well but that other than that i'm completely blind other than knowing like what paizo authors have been involved so getting on that topic what do you think the spire is and what it's about i mean honestly i couldn't tell you i know it's obviously some ancient building that's that supposedly the spire descends under each floor according to just the synopsis it's like what 16 floors 16 floors super dungeon yes yeah so but yeah no i i assume it's got to be something there's got to be something tied to it someone has to have invent has to have made the spire right yeah so i assume there's some sort of ancient race involved as would be my guess some of the guesses we've had is the aslanti because it's green and old not a terrible guess at all. The only thing I'd say is it's probably not Aridin because he would have made sure everyone knew. <laughs> the patron god of humanity. He was also into fortune and glory. <laughs> he was also into fortune and glory. That's how he became a god. That's what you know about the Emerald Spire. What do you expect to get out of this adventure? Like Megan wants to do a lot of roleplay stuff and develop because dungeon crawls traditionally don't lend to that. So she wants to kind of involve that in this. What do you 
want out of this besides getting to do a sick dungeon crawl that you and I have talked about doing for months. I mean, I would definitely go with what Megan said. Definitely a lot of role play as well. I mean, we're, we have Ford Inevitable as a base of operations, which I feel like is ignored by a lot of people who say, like, all dungeon crawl and nothing else. Like, you have this amazing set-piece town uh, that with full of intrigue and, like, in-depth NPCs that, like, most people just aren't touching, it sounds like. Yeah, I took a look at it, and I was like, this is a really... This is an enormous town. For those who don't really know a lot about Pathfinder cartography... When there's towns, generally each building is labeled by a number and you can, like, each has a little note about it. There are 43 individual locations noted in Fort Inevitable. Exactly. There's a ton of detail there that I think will really lend itself to roleplay. And in some of the episodes we've recorded, we've had that with the Hell Knights who run Fort Inevitable and getting to see the characters in a casual setting. Yes, it's a dungeon crawl, but the whole thing shouldn't be about the dungeon. It should be about the characters. Exactly. Getting back to Maldrick a little, talked about how his stuff scales and how he, as he levels and stuff. What's your kind of overall plan for Maldrick's character and his build? Is he just going to go stay straight Magus? Uh, you don't have to share if you plan the multi-class, but so like what his style leans towards maybe? Oh no, I don't mind at all. Uh, at least for now, at least uh, he definitely doesn't plan the multi-class. I'm just going to go straight Magus just because I don't want to lose that spell progression. Because uh, one more thing about my archetype actually is it delays my spells per day by one. Oh, you have diminished spell casting. I do, yeah. So losing additional spells is definitely not something I want to do. I have played Maguses that have that as a part of their class, and it is infuriating. At level one, yeah. I didn't know you only got uh, one spell a day at first level. I do, yeah. The diminished spell casting is a bitch. Yeah, it is. Well, buddy, I look forward to seeing you and Maldrick in the Emerald Spire and Fort Inevitable and all the fun, cool stuff he does. I do too, man. I, I like this group. I like this adventure. I'm here to have a good time. I like this group too. I mentioned this in the interview with Alex, but you guys are very well versed in Pathfinder and you guys know how to build characters really well and really cool. And as a gentleman's agreement of no arms racing, but I think we have a good party balance for all well-rounded stuff, offense, defense, support. And I really look forward to seeing uh, Maldrick once he gets the Magus bread and butter of spell combat spell strike. Next level, man. And once you hit level two, it's all over for most of my monsters. <laughs> At least twice. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. Cheers, bud. Hi there, welcome to the Dungeon Dive Bar Happy Hour event. Joining me this week, I have Ian. Hi, Ian. Hi, Sam. How are you doing? I'm doing dandy. How about you? How are you this evening? Ah, I'm doing pretty well. Excited to sit down and do some recording for some behind-the-scenes information. A little bit of before-the-scenes information. We're going to be talking about your character, Declan. Oh, great. Yeah, that guy. Yeah, that, that guy. That nerd. Tell us about that nerd. Well, what do you want to know? Declan's a human. I kind of just went as boring as they come for race. Listen, that extra feet never hurts. Oh, it's so good. <laughs> and that actually is even better for you, because due to our house rules, you don't have to waste it on point-blank shot and precise shot. Very true. Yeah, being able to have any amount of combat viability at first level as a caster was really nice. It doesn't do a lot, but it helps. <laughs> While I have you here, why don't you explain what an arcanist is? Because that is a very pathfinder specific class much like how alex is playing a scald which is also a very unique class and it is also a hybrid class so arcanists they're a blend of the wizard and sorcerer in pathfinder parlance they are a hybrid class and the parent classes are sorcerer and wizard it really is kind of taking a fifth edition wizard spellcasting and just kind of smooshing it into pathfinder they still are intelligence based they still are learned and studied wizard or casters like a wizard but they have innate magic as well like a sorcerer but not enough to actually gain bloodline powers usually there are some arcanist exploits which are like a class ability you get once every couple levels that you can use and you can start developing like bloodline abilities or a whole bunch of wacky powers that is why i have my familiar fitzgerald that was a arcanist exploit i got at first level to get a familiar Yep, actually, I, I took a uh, sorcerer bloodline, the arcane bloodline. Oh, that makes sense. 
Yeah, so I got the first level sorcerer bloodline power for a bonded item or familiar. And what is Declan doing here at the Emerald Spire? What is his sort of character motivation? Like many young aspiring students, Declan is trying to finish university. <laughs> I, I did that with a character. I feel ya. I did that with school. In real life. I feel ya. I just did that with school, so I really, I feel Declan's pain. Okay, so, so Declan, as a arcanist, had to study somewhere to learn his magic, and he studied in the outskirts of the elven kingdom of Kionin at a pre-existing mage college. The mage college he went to focuses really heavily on archaeology, which I thought was a good fit for getting someone interested in delving this ancient ruin of the Emerald Spire. So Declan is a historian and archaeologist who, for his, I don't know, to finish his education, he needs to actually do a practical, not an exam, but he needs to do something practical with his education. And for that, he chose exploring the Emerald Spire. You actually mentioned in some episodes he's from a very far away country. He's from Molthoon, you said, correct? Yes. So it isn't as far as some. It's probably a few hundred miles. The Emerald Spire and Echo Wood are in the point where the River Kingdoms, Ustalov, and Numeria meet. Okay. Realistically, you just crossed the lake. Yeah, he went straight northeast. Yeah. Just, I mean, he probably went around Lake Incarthen because it's a horribly dangerous place. Yeah, it is. I assume Levin came from further. Of the people who have confirmed countries, you have come the farthest distance. Ooh, congratulations to me. I believe everyone else is from Ustalov or Numeria or River Kingdom. Oh, interesting. Okay. You being the explorer from another land really adds to your uniqueness as the only human amongst the group. What a bunch of misfits and ne'er-do-wells they all are. So, while I have you here, I just want to ask one question of you, Ian. Sure. What do you expect to get out of the Emerald Spire Super Dungeon? As you know, it is a massive undertaking with over a dozen different authors of the tabletop world, the D20 tabletop world, writing what they wanted to do as is a super dungeon. I've always been interested in playing like just a straight dungeon delve campaign and just haven't really had a chance to i've actually i've played a little bit of emerald spire before but we never got past maybe like the second floor before that just whatever the game fell apart so similar to garrett you've played a little bit of the spire already yes but you don't really know the whole overarching story oh not not at all (laughs) i know just enough that i'm really wanting to learn more about it so I made a character who can hopefully learn all of the things about it. <laughs> and related to that, I've talked about this on other Happy Hour episodes. I have upgraded this dungeon. Oh, I'm very excited. Because I felt that it needed to between six PCs and six incredibly skilled players. So it may not be the exact dungeon that you have, but the story beats and the expected lethality remains <laughs> good i mean i wasn't super invested in like finding all of the monsters i, I want to learn the lore behind things more than anything so and that definitely translates into how declan came to be absolutely so we've talked about what you want out of this we talked about what declan wants out of this my question to you because of who your character is and it's kind of separate from everyone else's characters how do you think declan's gonna fit in with the rest of the party Because you're the smart guy. I'm really kind of unsure. I mean, there's intelligence, but he also, he doesn't have a whole lot of, like, he's very young. He doesn't know a whole lot about the world other than academia. So there's a level of naivety that he has, and I think that's going to especially come forward when working with Levin. David's character. Our ranger and trap spotter, and to some extent, growing up in Multhoon, it's a very legalistic lawful place so i think he to some extent like relates to and understands how the hell knights are running things he, he isn't a chaotic person so I, I don't think he rebels all that much against it i think he'll end up getting along fairly well with our resident hell knight in training i am very excited for you guys to progress i'm excited to see what happens after the fact because 
as of right now, this is coming out before anybody is going to hear an episode. Oh, yeah. Yeah, this is going to be a fun game. And I'm looking forward to everyone listening, enjoying it as much as we are playing and running it. Absolutely. Because I have a personal motto about tabletop games, and it's if the players aren't having fun, nobody else should. Well, I appreciate that for what it's worth in benefiting me. Cheers, buddy. Yeah, this was fun. Happy hour drink, and we'll see the rest of you on the next happy hour and in the dungeon dive bar as they explore the Emerald Spire. We'll need to set up happy hour hours for the dungeon dive bar. <laughs> Get those really nailed down. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to our exciting finale of Dungeon Dive Bar Happy Hour. Joining me at the bar this week is Matthew. Hi, Matthew. Hi, how are you doing today? I'm doing just dandy. Got a nice, cool drink in my hand, and I'm excited to sit down and talk to you about Gareth. Oh, I'm super stoked to talk about Gareth. He's, he's a very fun character. Yeah, so let's talk a little bit about Gareth. Gareth is a cleric. Talk to me about him being a cleric. I chose to play a cleric because every good party needs a healer, first off. But more importantly, I wanted to get at uh, Lightning's character, and I really wanted to get under her skin a little bit. Lightning is Megan, for those who are not a member of our uh, regular Discord server. What I mean by that is the fact that Megan and I have, for oh, over the last year or so, been going at each other about what really good is, you know, and she's always been of the, the idea that lawful equals good, and I've always been of the idea that chaos equals good, so we decided this is where we were going to settle it. So I decided I wanted to play a cleric, and I wanted to play specifically a cleric of Desna, because Desna is everybody's favorite chaotic good deity yes for those who are not well versed in pathfinder lord desna is the chaotic good goddess of travel dreams and luck correct that's correct absolutely and i also like the fact that her holy symbol is a butterfly it's just entertaining to me i found some interesting things uh to do with that in previous campaigns the other great part about playing a cleric at desna is Megan just has something against Desnans. Um, <laughs> it's almost a running joke between the two of us. So what would you like to know about him? Well, uh, let's talk a little bit about his build. He is not just your average cleric. That's correct. You see, there's a lot of really neat things you can do uh, when building a cleric. There are... What I love most about clerics, I think, is there's a lot of versatility that can be built into them. A lot of people think of clerics as just heel bots or just, just goody two-shoes, etc. But for me, when I play a cleric, I try to look at other opportunities. In this case, I selected something called the Divine Fighting Technique of the Way of the Shooting Star, which is particular to Desna. It is explicitly Desna's holy fighting style. That's exactly correct. Now, it's only useful if you're using a star knife. But if you are, it allows you to do things such as add your charisma bonus instead of strength and dex. And so I've always liked to play a build that wasn't just based straight off of strength, etc., or straight off of dex. And the reason is because that's pretty much how every character I've ever played was. I used to play a whole lot of fighters back in 2nd edition Dungeons & Dragons and a whole lot things and so since that point it's in the pathfinder community a lot of people just dump the charisma stat and i decided that i want to go a different route and so instead charisma is gareth's most important statistic it determines his to hit role it determines his damage role it determines his channels it determines uh, some difficulties of some of his uh, uh, some of the difficulties some of the things and because i selected a certain feat it also determines his initiative bonus oh i didn't actually know that yeah, yeah. I chose a uh, feat of noble lineage. I chose a noble lineage that was uh, that took my charisma modifier and put it instead of my dex modifier for initiative. Noble bloodline or something. I have to look it back up. But yeah, that's why I don't have selective channel. You can only take that uh, particular feat at level one. And on top of that, you're also playing 
I believe you were also doing some other fun things with summons. My end goal for him is for him to become a major summoner in the end. So I'm going to be more working towards augment summoning and a lot of those sort of feats. And the, what I really, my vision for him is, is one day he'll be riding on the back of an ankylosaurus and throwing star knives from the back as, and, uh, and using the ankylosaurus as his quote-unquote knock spell if the door's in our way. <laughs> That's funny. That's actually really funny. I like that a lot. <laughs> so that's kind of where I'm headed with the character. And so, yeah, I absolutely am. I love the idea of, of short-term summons and things and things of that nature. But, yeah, so it gives a different flavor to overplayed but underutilized class, I think. I agree. And just one last question about Gareth's build, and then we'll move into Gareth's personality and stuff. He's just a regular standard cleric, right? He doesn't have an archetype or anything? That's right. I chose to go no archetype because I have went so many archetypes over my over time playing. And to be fair, a lot of the cleric archetypes just suck. Yeah. Real talk, if you want to take a cleric archetype, you're probably better off just playing an oracle. Yeah, that's true. You know, though I will say I do enjoy in a couple and a couple of my other games um, playing. I have both a Blossoming Light and an Angel Fire Apostle, and they're fun. But you definitely lose out on quote unquote optimization of a character. Not that all characters have to be optimal, but in this case, I wanted something a little better. And also everyone playing in this game is a filthy power gamer. Oh yes, absolutely. Especially Megan. So we talked about his build and what you want to do with him. Let's talk about Gareth's personality because he's a member of a family that's participating in this game. Yeah. The whole thing, as I said, started with just Megan and I deciding we wanted to be a brother and a uh, brother and sister and have this strange this 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 strange rivalry. And it just blew up from there. Uh, now we have, it, you know, Megan's the older sister. I'm playing the younger and more annoying brother. And there's this really cool way they click together. And we also now have a middle child. Uh, that's that's part of the party. That's right. Garrett's character, Maldrick. That's right, Maldrick. And so he's kind of the neutral one, uh, as as my the oldest sibling and me have been going at it for years. The big thing here that when I was determining him and his personality and, and things like that, as I said, part of it was the chaos versus good, uh, the chaos versus law thing. Part of it was all that, but a lot of it also was just the basic underpinnings of really of what's happening a lot in what we see society today, which is as far as chaos versus law, there's a real problem with, with enforcement of old laws in society today or abuse of such things. And I, and in the Emerald Spire, there's a group called the Hell Knights that are very, very lawful and care more about law than they do about what's actually good for society. And uh, I wanted to reflect that in, in him, that, that Gareth was this, uh, this good guy who wanted to make a real change. And he kind of worshiped adventurers as a kid because he saw them as doing real change versus his sister, which kind of worshiped uh, the Hell Knights, you know? And so we have this cool duality of purpose there. It's kind of cool. I'm, I'm excited to see that. And where as of this moment in recording, we haven't really had a lot of chance to develop the character connections. So your relationship with Levin and Declan and Pelta hasn't really gotten a chance to form yet. But what do you think of the other teammates that you have so far? What do I think about Levin and the rest? Well, Levin seems like an interesting, but kind of a stodgy. I, I, I mean, he's very... I'm not even sure how to put it. Levin kind of seems like he is a no-nonsense, gotta-go-through person. And got, this is what we gotta do, we gotta do it this way. The other, Each of the other ones also seems to be really interesting in, the own, in, in their own right. We haven't got a whole lot of chance. I am looking forward to being able to build relations with each of them and find out what makes each of them tick. Awesome. So we talked a lot about Gareth. Now I wanna talk about you. What are you expecting out of the Emerald Spire Super Dungeon? You, Matthew, as the player. Me as a player. Well, this is a uh, not adventure path, but this is a uh, dungeon that I've wanted to play for years. And as such, what I hope to see is I hope to see a lot of engagement 
uh, amongst the players and 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 turning this because this is a group that's very well versed in role playing uh, into a uh, I hope to see that this turns into something with much more role-playing opportunity and not just simple hack and slash all the way through. I'd like to see us, uh, while working our way through this amazing dungeon, see what it really has to offer, see what sort of side quests it has to explore. What I want to see is character growth. That's that's really what I want to see from this. And I do as well. And in, in other previous Happy Hours, I actually, we actually talked about that. And if you guys go back and listen to my interview with Garrett... Gareth the player, not Gareth the PC. That does lead to some confusion in, in later episodes. Gareth talks about how most people who play the Emerald Spire 2 Dungeon ignore for inevitable the Hell Knight Fortress nearby as just a... And they ignore it as a set piece and all of the stuff within. And Megan talked about how she wants to make sure that there is satisfying roleplay even though this is a massive dungeon crawling super dungeon. And I personally am of the same belief in that there is a very good balance you need to hit between playing the game, but playing the game. It is a role play game. Agreed. And because it's a role playing game, there's more to it than just tactics and other things. And everyone will tell you that tactics are not my best part <laughs> i'm far <laughs> from the best tactician in the group there's a lot better tacticians for sure i tend to make a few small mistakes here and there i know the rules very well but the actual combat tactics isn't isn't my forte where i tend to shine are in those rp moments are in those the chances to really explore the depth of the character and having been involved in a lot of different projects over the years th that's really where i want to explore awesome and just to top that off what do you 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 know about the emerald spire super dungeon ap module the actual spire itself would you know anything about the surrounding stuff or simply that it is a well-known book i know three things about the emerald spire the first thing i know goblins are terrifying Oh, wait, that's just the Spire. Uh, second thing I know uh, about the Spire is pretty much the stuff that was in the Player's Guide stuff. And the third thing is that the Hell Knights here believe that freedom is earned, which is exactly the antithesis of what uh, Gareth believes. And so I find that the idea of role-playing with the Hell Knights in some fashion, and the, and the awesome, awesome contrast that that could could uh, present is very exciting to me. So those are it. That's it. I really don't know much about it other than I've heard it's made by great uh, writers and and legendary developers. So that's right. Each floor is written by a different, well-known writer, including upper division Piso staff such as. Eric Mona, Jason Bullman, and even James Jacobs. And that has me really excited. I'll let you in on a little secret. James Jacobs himself wrote The Final Floor. Whoa, that's pretty awesome. <laughs> I must say, I'm really stoked now. Yes, I am too. I'm excited to get there. I'm excited to see everyone get there, whether they the players get there with the same PCs they started with or not. I'm excited for it. And I'm excited to see uh, Gareth develop. Clerics usually don't get a lot of focus in a party, so I'm really excited to see him uh, shine. Yeah, I'm really excited for that too. And then I want to make one prediction, though. Uh, the prediction I'm going to make is you said, even if they don't get there with all the same PCs, there's no way we're going to get there with all the same PCs, not based off of the modifications I'm assuming have been made. I'm I, I, I'm going to get there because, you know, you can't stop chaos. I'll definitely make it. Can't necessarily say the same for my sister or my brother, but... I'm calling it now. Gareth's going to be there at the end. You heard it here, folks. Gareth is going to make it to floor 16. Yeah. Well, any other questions? No, I don't really got any other questions, man. Thanks for coming by. Awesome. I love it. I uh, can't wait to see you, and we'll uh, talk to you later. All right? Cheers, buddy. Cheers. Hi, David. Hello. I'm back. I'm special. I get two of these. You do. You get a second one because you died on the first floor. It's a badge of honor. It is. You were the first and only death at the time of this recording. Yeah. It, honestly, if anyone was going to die, it was going to be Levin. I mean, he is the scout. Like, it's he, he's the first one meant to die. It's not even just yeah. that. It's 
even the order that happened, like that kind of thing was likely to happen. That's true. But we're not here to talk about Levin. We're here to talk about another character. We're here to talk about Honesty and Ray. Raylock and Honesty. Your new character, a vigilante with a magic gun. Technically, she's technological, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, blah, blah. But he's not just any vigilante, is he, David? Nope, he's legendary vigilante because I love legendary stuff. They, as of time of this recording, recently just dropped the legendary cleric and legendary wizard, and they're both really good. I love what they do to classes that I didn't think they were going to be able to do much with. Yeah, actually, some of our friends, uh, Yuffie, has actually started building their own uh, Unchained classes. I got him onto the Legendary kick when he was looking for a third party like a few years ago. And I'm like, these guys are awesome. And he was like, yes, they are. They really are. I I read through it because I had to approve it because of the third party. Yeah, obviously. But no, it, it's very balanced as far as they know their stuff. I'm basically just a Magus without spells, but focused on weapon. Yeah, so you're more of like weapon enhancements than the actual casting component that Maldrick has, for instance. I'm essentially a Kinsai Magus taken to the next level, is kind of how I see it. I have a scaling that's equal to um, Black Blade slash Spiritualist weapon. I've got Anima Infusion, which is my like arcane infusion. But a lot of their vigilante talents they can take are fighter adjacent where you can get weapon training but only for your animal weapon or you can get armor training so it's it's very much like a mix between the fighter and the magus which is weird to say because <laughs> the magus is a mix of fighter and wizard yeah and honesty is a scaling magic item that i've custom built and i've talked about that a bit before you've talked about it on a couple episodes and we've talked about it off air as well i believe 30 percent of my money goes straight into honesty's maintenance because she is really cool and she gets to do cool stuff she does get to do cool stuff. I like Honesty a lot. And as anyone who's listened to this in the past knows, Dave and I are both huge Sentai and anime fans. So we're both leaning very hard into that with the with everything. Yeah. <laughs> I'm more Kamen Rider. He's more Power Rangers. But Sentai is Sentai. It's great. Sentai is Sentai. And Long live Tokusatsu. <laughs> so let's talk a little bit about Rei. He's from the River Kingdoms, right? No. He's just stationed there. Rei grew up in Numeria. So he's familiar with technology in the Technic League and didn't leave there till he was about 15 or 16 for certain story reasons. But part of Honesty's anima bonding with Rey is that to give him all of the information he needed to use her to survive the stuff about technology, the stuff about other cultures that Honesty has observed, she erased the first 13 years of his memory and overlaid it with new information. So there's a lot about his own past that he doesn't know. But yeah, he is originally from Numeria and moved to the River Kingdoms to kind of get away from the Technic League and to just kind of chill. The founding of the kingdom, which, what is the name of that kingdom, Sam? I forget. In my Kingmaker game, which the only correlation this has to that is that we're just using that kingdom name for anyone listening. There's no stuff from a private personal game of mine that's going to really carry over unless it's a relevant detail. I asked for permission too. You asked for permission. All of the players in that game did give consent to this. So it's not like I'm just like throwing things out there. It is Savranus. Savranus, yeah. And it's, it's basically based on the Kingmaker video game is where I'm going to, where he's Lindsay's apprentice, the trading post there. He's an investigative journalist. He's quite good at it, being a vigilante. Yeah. A bit back, he actually has two archetypes because I will throw archetypes on anything. He is the exposed vigilante, which is I don't have a social identity and I can't take seven or eight different social traits. And I'm considered to be in both states at all times for the abilities. And I'm an anima bonded vigilante, which is the weapon and armor stuff. It actually means I have an ability from the anima bonded that I can't use because <laughs> it's social identity only. It's one where honesty can take the form of a mundane item of the same type. So she'd be like a mundane technological item, but I can't use it. So whatever. It, before I realized I couldn't use the ability, she was just going to be like a data pad. That would be funny. We talked about Ray's class and kind of his build. Gun. His build is gun. His build is just use honesty, and that's really the crux of it, because the way that the class is constructed and the way the build progresses is that it's just all scaling from here. Yeah. You get a few new features in the, your talents and stuff, but there's no... It's, it's not like you get new spells or, like, these game-breaking class abilities or, like, crazy stuff like spell kenning. Yep. Not my next one, 
or maybe even the one after that. But one of my vigilante talents that I'm going to take, or from the one-time feat from Legendary Vigilante, you just get an extra vigilante talent. I have a combination. It's called Dual Anima and Any Blade. Dual Anima I have right now, which allows me to make a wireframe copy of Aunt Honesty that I can either use as her or to weapon fight. And then Any Blade is weapon modification, the vigilante talent. Anything that is Honesty's type of weapon, I can change her to that other type. So I'm flavoring it as literally the Sentai thing of just getting weapon attachments and making Honesty a different weapon altogether. Oh, that's classy. I have names for all this thought out, so I'm not going to spoil it, but essentially just scaling Honesty up from a revolver to like a full tech weapon for a little bit and like giving her a larger barrel, a larger power receiver. It's all going to be cosmetic and cool, but essentially what it means is I'm going to be doing a few extra dice of damage. That's all. <laughs> it's flavored and cool, and I look forward to using both of them. But yeah, dual enhancement is the only one I have right now. I'm actually specking into two-weapon fighting just so I can do it for cool moments, but it's not going to be a real part of the build. I just have free feats. Well... I look forward to Ray continuing on. I think he's cool. Good. That's the and whole point. It is the whole point, yeah. Uh, I look forward to Ray continuing on in the Spire and meshing with the party. Uh, I'd like to thank you for joining me on this uh, rehashing of the happy hour. Cheers, buddy. Cheers. All right, Honesty, it's go time. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Dungeon Dive Bar. To keep tabs on what we're up to, follow us on social media. You can find us on Twitter at at Bar Dungeon on Tumblr at tumblr.com slash dungeon dive bar, or on Facebook at facebook.com slash dungeon dive bar. For behind the scenes extras, check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash dungeon dive bar. Thanks and see you at the bar. <laughs>